We're right in the middle of the revealing series and uh, I, I love that Jesus revealed himself. He could have raised from the dead and never shared himself again. But every period of about 40 days, the Bible says that he revealed himself to different people. And we can learn a lot about that. So we're gonna look at this. The scripture I'm gonna read at the beginning is not necessarily the main scripture, but I need you to, I need you to understand where we're coming from, okay? Is everybody okay with that? I'm gonna read some scripture later as well. If you don't, you can't leave your seat. Luke chapter 22, we'll start in verse 54. It says, then he seized him and led him away, bringing him to the high priest house. Peter was following at a distance and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light, looking close at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly, this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Father, we thank you today for your goodness. We thank you that in the middle of crisis, you reveal yourself to us. We thank you for the grace that covers all of our sin. And we pray today, Lord, that you'd reveal that to us one more time, that we're forgiven. And Lord, maybe for somebody who's hearing it for the first time, that they can be forgiven. We thank you, God. We know if we look into your word, it can change us. So we pray it does that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. Now we're going to start out with this because it's important to know. We're going to talk about Jesus revealing himself, but I need to give you a lead up into that and tell you why. It's so important how he revealed himself in this, in this next revealing. We pick up in Luke. Luke gives one account of this happening, of the beginning of the trials of Christ. And, and so Luke has one account in the Gospels. When you put all the Gospels together, you get a picture of what happens. So Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. They take him to Annas' house. He, he was the high priest. He's actually the father-in-law of a guy named Caiaphas who was the acting high priest. But many of you know, just because you have a title might not mean you're in charge. Amen? Just because you have a title doesn't mean you're in charge. So what happens is Annas, the former high priest, is still kind of like the guy with all the strings to pull. So the arresting party takes Jesus first to Annas' house to let him be questioned to figure out, okay, is this, what are we going to do here? Then he'll later end up in front of Caiaphas. What happens is scholars believe that John... And Peter followed Jesus to Annas' house. Now, they also believe that John could have been related to that family in some, some way because they, he knew people in the compound. He knew people at the gate. And so it was very easy for John to get into the compound and sit in the courtyard. Now, Peter was with him. So it seems like there's a couple minutes goes by and John 
John gains access for Peter. As soon as he walks in, somebody says, hey, aren't you the guy who was with Jesus? And he says, no, 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 no. I'm not him. Now, I need to remind you of what has just happened. This is not a leisurely stroll in the middle of the night to go hang out at a buddy's house. Jesus had just been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that he took Peter, James, and John and and farther into the garden with them and begged them to pray. And he kept coming back to them and saying, saying, hey, could you just keep watch with me? And they kept falling asleep and falling asleep. And then all of a sudden, Judas shows up with an arresting party. A mob of people. Peter, in defense, trying to defend Jesus, lops off a guy's ear. Jesus heals it. They they finalize the arrest. They take him. And here we are at Annas' house. And Jesus is being questioned. Now Peter gets into the courtyard. You can imagine the adrenaline coursing through his veins. He is now sitting down by the fire. And he is trying to stay composed. We're not talking about days after the arrest. We're talking about they just ran here. Trying not to look like they just ran here. Trying not to look like they were associating with Jesus. And so what happens is he sits down. Now notice that nobody questions John. John must have been close enough to the people there that they probably assumed he wasn't part of the whole deal. But Peter, on the other part, is getting the third degree. So now a little bit of time passes and another girl asks him, hey, aren't you? Weren't you with him? The guy over there that they're questioning, weren't you with him? And he says, no. Then Luke records that about an hour goes by. Now, if you look into the book of John, you find out that the third time he's questioned is by a relative of the man whose ear he cut off. So I'm guessing, call him a cousin, whatever you want to call him. The cousin of the guy's ear, of the guy, not a cousin of the ear, but a cousin of the guy whose ear Peter cut off was probably in the garden in the arresting party and now he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's Peter, you're the guy, you just cut my cousin's ear off. Peter emphatically, some of the gospels say, calls down a curse. And the Bible says that as soon as he does that, the rooster crows. Now, I don't know if God lined up the rooster with Peter or Peter with the rooster. All I know is my rooster crows and it's not convenient. If anybody else have a rooster, I actually have a rooster. If he would crow at 630 in the morning, I would think he was useful. Four o'clock is not useful. So I'm thinking Peter just happened to get lined up with the rooster because they're uncontrollable wild animals. The rooster crows the very moment he's the most assured of what he's doing. And the Bible says that right at that time, Jesus locks eyes with him. So you can imagine Peter. Luke says he remembers at that moment what he did. That before this happened, Jesus said, Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows. Now the rooster has crowed. And Peter. You ever been in one of those circumstances. Where all the life just drains out of you. You screwed it up so bad. That you knew there was no way to come back from it. You knew there was no way to apologize. It wouldn't matter. You knew there was no way. That you could just say. Oh man come over for dinner next week. And we'll make all this right. I mean the life runs out of you. You've been caught. 
the rooster caught him. The Bible says that he locks eyes with Jesus. And you can imagine the guilt and shame that comes over him. It says he runs out of the courtyard weeping. I bet you to everyone there, they thought that was the guy. That was the guy. I know it was the guy. Here's what, I, here's what I find out. If you live long enough, you're going to fail. I'm thinking if you live past four. <laughs> I got three kids. About four is when the devil got in them. Maybe you have a two-year-old. Just wait. <laughs> if you live long enough, you're fail. Now, fail is a polite word because you can fail at things and not do anything wrong. You know, you hear the terminology fail forward that we can learn from our failures. And we always talk about, um, all the great scientists that failed and failed and failed. So let me, if I may, let me rephrase this. If you live long enough, you'll sin big time. It's exciting. First Sunday back, isn't it? Like you invited me back to church. He's talking about sin. Maybe God knows something that you know. If you're alive, you'll fail. Romans 3.21, Paul spells it out. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So Paul's making this argument of everybody who adheres to the law. It, that's not where your righteousness comes from. And then us Gentiles, not Jewish, but Gentiles, he, he, he makes this argument. We're all in the same boat. That you can't get to heaven just obeying the law. That you can't be good enough in and of yourself. So he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So Jesus himself is the righteousness of God. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Everyone. And then he says, there's no distinction. Here's why there's no distinction. Do you want to read it with me? It's an exciting first Sunday back. Come on, everybody together. For all have sinned. And falling short of the glory of God. Come on, give yourself a pat on the back. You've done a good job. Sinner. We're all in the same category. Here's the issue. No one is immune to it, even if you think you are. So Peter is not only struggling with what he just done. He's struggling with that. He boisterously proclaimed that he'd never do it. Everybody ever told you never say never? Peter had just, not two years ago, days before that, said, I'll never deny you. I'll, I'll die before I deny you. Jesus said, I don't, that's not going to be the case. And I'm praying for you, Peter. The devil wants to sift you. And I'm praying that you'd be strong. Peter said, I'll never do it. And yet here he finds himself grappling with the fact that he has sinned. This wasn't like Jesus, man. I mean, you, I mean, there were. What, I mean, come on. Boldface lying in the presence of Jesus. Boldface lying where Jesus could hear him. Boldface lying, and then coupled with the grief that would come from the idea that I promised him I'd never do it. I bet if I polled the audience today, most of you have done things that you promised you'd never do. I know I have, and I get paid to be good. That'll sink in for some of you. If you're alive, you're going to fail. 
Proverbs 16, 18 said, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. So this verse doesn't only apply to Christians who think they're too good to fail, but it also applies to people far from God to think they haven't done anything wrong. We're all in the same boat. If you're far from God right now and you think, well, I have not done anything wrong. There's just as much pride in you as there's pride in a Christian that says, well, I'm better than everybody else. And Paul says, we're all lumped in the same boat. We all sin. We've all done it. We've all sinned and fallen short of what God, God's standard is. So here's what I realize. I realize, I realize that sin will take you places that you didn't know how to get to. Do you realize that? You ever woken up someplace? Never mind. That's a story I don't want to tell. Sin takes you to places that aren't on the map. I have a sneaky feeling that Peter didn't wake up that morning and say, I'm probably, hey guys, I just want to let you know I'm probably going to die Christ today. Thinking he's going to get arrested. They're going to question me and I'm going to just bold face say I didn't know it. You ever woken up in your life and figured out you were so far away from where you thought you would be that you didn't know how to get back? I've done that before. I've woken up uh, never mind. Sin always takes us to places that are not on the map. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Bible talks about how sin is pleasurable for this, for a season. Not, not, can I just get something clear with everybody? I'm not the preacher that thinks all sin is not fun. Can we just get that out in the open? I remember, I remember growing up and being told by older people, oh, there's no fun in that. And I'm going, hmm, I'm thinking there's a lot of fun in that. Actually, it's really fun. Matter of fact, it could be the most fun I've ever had. But the poison that comes with that fun, how do we weigh it? How do we, how do we realize the ramifications? How do we, how do we, how do we put it on the scale and go, is fun the only measure? How do we, how do we do that? And Satan somehow continues to trip us up even into our forties and fifties and sixties. And we just think, well, it's just not that big a deal. And we just continue to weigh it out and weigh it out. We weigh it out and we weigh it out and, and we tip over as just so fun. And scripture even acknowledges it. It's fun for a season, but the end of it doesn't produce anything in your life. The end of it produces death. Eternal separation from God. That's the, that's the explanation of that. It's not just, well, I'm going to die like everybody else is going to die. It's, I'm going to be separated from God. That's the death that sin produces. So all of a sudden, the, the fun trip takes us somewhere that we didn't even know was on the map. And you wake up and Peter's waking up the next day going, I don't even know how this happened. I was so confident that I couldn't fail. I was so confident that it would never happen to me. I'm the one that Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. And I didn't think that could come out of me. I didn't think I was the one. I was the only one in the garden that tried to, to try to defend him. And hours later, he's. Weeping because he couldn't do it. We end up places that we're not sure 
how we got there, we're not even sure how to get back. We get to places in life where we're so far down the road, it doesn't seem like there's room to turn around. It doesn't seem like there's room to navigate even a 20-point turn. The road has become clogged with all kinds of entanglements and just trying to, what do I do? What do I do? I don't know how to, I don't even know how to get out of this. And then we just kind of resign to the idea that that's where we are. Remember I told you we were going to read another scripture. Because I, I know, I know I've spent a little bit of time talking about failure and all of you are thinking, well, I thought we were going to celebrate back to church for the first time, even separating rows and social distancing. Thought we were going to have a fun time in church. By the way, we planned the sermon series before we planned how we were coming back. So you just got stuck on the sin one. I know this would have been an easier sermon to listen to at home because you could have turned me off already. Uh, we know who does that, by the way. We can see it on the... Dim- That's a joke. We're not the government. <laughs> so in trouble. So watch this, John chapter 21. Because here's what I know. We fail, but when we fail... Jesus reveals himself. John chapter 21. Let's do this. John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter. John is writing, but records Simon Peter first. Just pause there a second. If I was writing it, I would have said I was there. And my buddies were with me. John doesn't record it that way. John records it, Simon Peter first. Pay attention to that. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Galilee, Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of whom the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Because any good self-made man that doesn't know what to do in the moment just goes fishing. Can I get an Amen. And any self-respecting man that doesn't have anything to do and his buddy says, let's go fishing, he says, yeah. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, or came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And I have been in Africa and seen seen them pull out Nile perch from Lake Victoria. And they're not little fish. Bring me some fish. 
that you've just caught. Peter brings, bring, brings it. There's 153 of them. And all, although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, one of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. So with the fish, he did the same thing. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we have two times, both in locked doors, behind locked doors that Jesus revealed himself. Now this is the third time. Here's the kicker. Watch this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I think it's, I think it's important to note here. The first two times Jesus reveals himself, he doesn't, the Bible doesn't record him saying anything to Peter. It says he reveals himself to the disciples, which we've talked about. He reveals himself to the first time in the, in the, what they think probably was, they went back to the upper room and they're hanging out there and they got the door locked for fear of the Jews. And he reveals himself and he says, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. Thomas is not with him. So he comes back the second time to reveal himself specifically to Thomas. We talked about that last week. There's no real mention of him saying anything specifically to Peter. So you can imagine Peter's angst in the moment after a couple weeks of him, of him seeing Jesus, but this awkward, like, ah, have you ever, have you ever done something to somebody that, that, that it was weird? So I can imagine Peter going, well, is he for me? Is he not for me? What's going to happen? But now this very specific moment, John even says, Peter decided to go fishing. So what happens is, wait a second, we need to do a little history lesson about three years before this, Simon has a, Simon Peter has a brother named Andrew. And when Jesus first started his public ministry, Andrew finds Jesus. They're super excited about it. The Bible says that Andrew goes back and gets Peter, his brother and says, Hey, I think we found the Lord. I think we found them. I think we found him. Then the gospels record that Peter and the disciples are out fishing one night, catch nothing, and they pull their boat up to shore and, the, and they're mending their nets. Well, where they're mending their nets, Jesus is standing there preaching. So Jesus says, hey, can I get in your boat and preach? Push off a little bit from the shore so I can preach to this whole crowd. So I'm sure the last thing on the earth that a tired fisherman wanted to do that morning in the baking sun while they were mending their nets is hear a preacher. I'd really like just to go home and go to sleep. Sure. Jesus gets in the boat. They push off a little bit from the shore. And when Jesus is done preaching, he looks over at Peter and says, why don't you throw your net out again? To which Peter replies, Lord, we fished all night and haven't caught anything. I think he did one of these. We ain't caught nothing. And you want us to throw it back over again. All right. All right. Turns around to the guy, says, hey. He's a good preacher. Let's throw a net out, see what happens. He throws the net out. And the Bible says there's such a huge 
catch a fish that their friend's boat has to come over and help them. Now that was three years and some change before our current circumstance right here. So I have to believe that, G- that when Peter is in the boat, now remember a lot has happened since that first encounter. A lot has happened. Jesus has made some amazing proclamation over Peter's life. Peter in return says, I'll never deny you to which Peter ends up denying him. Then we, then hours, not days, hours after Peter's denial, Jesus is crucified. Peter then runs to the tomb to find him on the, on resurrection Sunday, not there. Totally unsure, not sure what's going on. And then we find him in the first revealing, locked in a door, locked in a room and Jesus revealing himself, but not having a, not having a recorded conversation with Peter. So you can imagine all these things, Peter's, Peter's, they're wrapping up a net again and he hears a voice from the shore saying, hey, throw that net out on the right side of the boat. Any of you ever had something happen in your life that just reminded you of something years, come on. God was so faithful back then. And now your current circumstance is such that something triggered that memory. Something triggered that memory. I've been in the position before where, where I had to sit in front of a counselor to get it triggered. Where, where, where maybe a song came on and I had to, and, and triggered it like, oh man, I remember that time. So I bet you Peter was in that boat and heard, hey, throw your net over on the right side. I instantly would be like, shut up. You're not in the water. <laughs> Have you ever fished in the ocean? You don't know where the fish are. They're a hundred yards from the shore. But I think he heard him say it and he went, Jeez, are you kidding me? All the way back. Three years before. Guys, just, I'm not even arguing, just throw it out. I don't know what God's trying to do here, just throw it out. They throw it out. A giant net full of fish. And John must have been the guy with the best eyesight. Because John looks up and goes, Peter, it's the Lord. And I think at that moment, everything clicked for Peter. I think it just went, it had to be. There's nobody else, there's nobody else stupid enough to stand on the shore and tell us to throw it out on the other side of the boat. But I remember three years ago when he did that exact thing. It had to be him. The Bible says he puts on his outer garment, which by the way, would have made it more difficult to swim. I don't think I'd have done that. But the Bible says he puts it on and he just leaps into the water and swims to shore. The other guys are trying to bring the boat with the big thing of fish. He gets to the shore. Now, I think, listen, when you read the scripture, if you read it with a frown, that's your fault. I think this is a funny scenario because Jesus already has fish on the fire with some bread ready to go. But when they get up to shore, he goes, hey man, bring some of that new fish. And you, could you imagine Peter like, dude, Jesus, I want to be, bring some fish. You already, what? So now he's trying to figure out, hurry up, bring the boat. Come on, get the fish. And he's screaming because, you know, any good leader just screams at everybody. And says, hurry up, get the fish. I've been panicked thinking he's going to disappear before I get over there. He's already revealed himself twice, just popped in a room and disappeared. 
You, you already got fish. Why do I have to get more? So Peter's going back and forth, back and forth, trying to figure out, can I, I just want to sit down beside him. So it says that he finally gets to sit down beside him. And Jesus turns to him and says, hey, do you love me? Could you imagine? Now listen, I know all of you have sinned. It's a pretty accurate, pretty accurate call there, I think. I know all of you sinned, but I bet you not all of you have sinned where it led to a man's death. I'm not saying Peter could have done anything about it, but I bet you he's carrying that weight. I denied him when he needed me the most and he was killed. Sitting there on the shore with Jesus, trying to get the words, trying to figure out where do I take the conversation, trying to figure out how do I even apologize? How do I bring it up? Is he going to talk to me about it? Is it like what you can imagine? I don't know. My personality type, I probably just sat down and put my head down. Jesus looks over at him and says, hey, do you love me? I don't know if he, I don't know if I would have even picked my head up at that moment. I probably would have just went, yeah. Yeah, you know that I love you. Jesus says, hey man, you're still part of the team. Asked him the second time, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know. You know that I love you. Still part of the team. Then the third time, Peter, do you love me? And the Bible says that he was grieved. You know what, church? I think some of the problem in our modern day culture is that we're never grieved by sin anymore. We're just never grieved by the ramifications. It's just like there's enough grace to cover all of it. It doesn't matter anymore. And I think it's significant that the Bible records that Peter was just grieved that he asked him a third time. That it was like, yeah, I love you. So let me say this. There is no emphatic, I have forgiven you of your sins. There, there's no statement like that. It's not like where, where the friends lowered the guy, lowered the, the, the paralytic guy down through the roof and he's in the middle of the room and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody goes, I can't believe he forgave him his sins. How does he do that? And then he says, so you believe I have the power to forgive sins, stand up and walk. It wasn't that scenario. He never actually says to Peter, your sins are forgiven. He never says that. You say, well, how do you know he forgave him his sins? Because he looked at him and said he was still on the team. He looked at him and said, hey, listen, I still got a future for you. I know, I know that thing you did took you somewhere that you didn't even know how to get out of. You can't even look me in the eye right now. You, you, I know that you went farther than you ever thought you were going to go. But I always knew where to find you. And here's the issue, church. When sin takes you to places that you don't know how to get back from, Jesus still knows where you are. And he is faithful to pop up in your circumstance over and over and over again saying, hey, listen, he said he would that no one would perish, but everyone would come to eternal life. So you think he's going to leave Peter hanging out there? No, he had made a proclamation over Peter's life. On this rock, I will build my church. And you can't beat Jesus at his own proclamations. Amen. 
So maybe you're asking this morning, why does he keep showing up in my life? Maybe he's proclaimed something over you you don't know yet. You say, man, I was so, I'm, I'm so far away right now. I don't even know how to turn around and get, I wouldn't know where back was. If I, if I did get turned around, I wouldn't know how to get there. God has proclaimed his goodness over your life. And so he wants to show up. He's showing up to you right now going, hey, I haven't lost you, even though you lost yourself. I'm here. And there's still a future for you. There's still a hope in your life. There's still a plan. And the Bible tells me emphatically in Job, no plan of his can be thwarted. Now listen, stand to your feet. We're going to wrap this up. The band's going to come up. I'm going to tell you something right now. That doesn't mean just run out here and do whatever you want. Paul says, should we keep sinning so grace can abound? Absolutely not. But does grace abound over your sin? Absolutely. So maybe you're in here this morning and you're thinking, I don't, I don't even, Pastor Chris, I don't even know what happened. I, don't, I can't, I can't look back and point to a day where, where it's just all, it's just, I don't even know how I got here. It's not what I thought it was going to turn out to be. It's not the way I thought my life was going to end up. It's just not what I expected. But, but I'm here and I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm going to let you know that Jesus is standing on the shore of your life right now going, hey, still part of the team. I still need you. There's still a plan for your life. He's wanting to forgive you right now. Peter didn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus went looking for Peter. Peter wasn't running around going, man, if I could just find him. Peter was trying to figure out what to do with the rest of his life. And Jesus wasn't done with him. So maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online and you're thinking, man, I don't know. I don't know how I got here. I'm telling you, this is for you today. God is revealing himself to you. Right now, he's revealing himself to you. All the grace that heaven can pour down, and it's a lot. All the grace that he can envelop your life with. Father, we just ask you this morning. All the love that heaven could pour out right now, I pray that you pour it out on us. Lord, that we be confident that if we confess our sins, you said you're faithful and just to forgive us for every single one of them. Lord, the promises spoken over our lives are true because Jesus went to the cross, died, and rose again. They're not true because we're perfect. They're true because you're perfect. They're not true because we're faithful. They're true because you're faithful. They're not true because we have done everything right. They're true because you did everything right. And they're not true, Lord, because we know the the path that we take. Lord, they're true because you know where we are. And you have yet to give up on us. And so I pray that everybody within the sound of my voice would feel your grace this morning. Would feel you calling them back. Would feel you forgiving them. Would feel you reaching out, showing up exactly where they are. It's not a mistake. It's not a coincidence that you were there on that shore that morning. It was all on purpose. And it's not a mistake that you showed up in our lives today. It was all on purpose. 
And we thank you for it, God. And we have this confidence that we're forgiven. That we're forgiven. And even more than that, that you found us. And we are still worth something. We are still valuable. And you still have a plan for our lives. And so we proclaim that right now in Jesus' name. As you forgive us. As you love on us. As you pour your grace on us this morning, Lord. Give us our confidence back, Lord. Give us our purpose back today. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church. If he was talking to you this morning, can you give him praise today? Can you give him... Can you give him praise? Amen.